life is getting better objectively by nearly every conceivable measure. So, you know, people are more likely to, you know, live in societies where they enjoy freedom and human rights. You know, every day, you know, thousands of people are being lifted out of poverty. You're less likely to die a violent death or die from disease today than you were at any point in human history prior. And yet, more people feel hopeless, depressed, alone. You know, rates of suicide have been going up. All of these indicators of mental health we're not doing so well on. And the research suggests that the reason for that is people are struggling to understand what makes their lives meaningful because so many of our shared sources of meaning, whether it's religion and spirituality or you know, the, tra- the traditions that bound the, the community together, are fading away. What is going on, everybody? Ryan Kelly. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Cut the Crap Podcast, where every single week I'm reading a book, breaking it down to its golden nuggets, bringing the author of the book on the show to talk about the golden nuggets, and I'm here every single week just trying to save you a little bit of time. If this is not your first time listening to the show and you've listened to the show multiple times and you haven't rated or reviewed the show yet, get online. Rate and review the show, whether you're listening on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud. Get a rating in, get a review in, take a screen capture of it, send it to podcast at ryancalajury.com, and I'll make sure you get entered into the draw this quarter to win either a Google Home or an Alexa. I'm going to pick a name and I'm going to send that person an email and I'm going to say, which one do you want? I'm going to ship it directly to them. So pretty easy. If you've already gotten in a ranking and a review, then you know that you're already entered in and there's no reason to enter again. Also, if you haven't followed me online, follow me online. I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Get online, follow me. LinkedIn, I'm more active on than anything else. Uh, Instagram next. My Facebook, Twitter game, eh, kind of lacking a little bit. But I'm going to pick it up in 2018 because it's my dedication to you. It's my dedication to the podcast, and for me, it's just really important that I have an opportunity to connect with all of you on a more regular basis. But if you're looking to connect right away, follow me on LinkedIn. Just search Ryan Calajuri, and you'll definitely find me. All right, this week, what are we doing? We're talking to Emily Esfahani-Smith about her book, The Power of Meeting, Crafting a Life That Matters. This is a really important book, everybody. Really important book, right? This isn't a book about business or about strategy or any of that. It's a book about how to live a more meaningful life and understanding what meaning is, the difference between living a meaningful life and a happy life. Why do you want to live a meaningful life? Why is it important? So many different aspects of this book are things that we don't think about. And because we don't think about it, it just makes it that much more important. Focusing on these four pillars that lead to a meaningful life, to me, was it's a game changer. Now, I've been lucky enough to have a lot of these four pillars already in place in my life. And for whatever reason, I've been lucky enough to have these pillars in place. But for a lot of you, you might not have these pillars in place. And life might be a little bit bleak at this moment in time because you don't have some of these pillars. Pillars of purpose, pillars of belonging, pillars of transcendence, storytelling. What do those things mean? Well, you got to listen to the show and you'll find out what it means. But it was great having Emily on the show. She provided a lot of really good insight into each of the four pillars and how we can use the four pillars to create a more meaningful life. I hope you really listen to this podcast from start to finish. You listen to it a couple times and you share it with some of your friends and family members that might need to hear this. Um, Because to me, without exaggeration, 
can truly be a game changer for somebody's life. In any case, let's get right into it. Enough of my jibber jabber. So again, this is The Power of Meaning, Crafting a Life That Matters by Emily Esfahani Smith. I'll catch you back here at the end of the episode. Enjoy. Emily, how you doing? I'm doing well. It's great to be here with you. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for being on the show. So for people who don't know who you are and what you do, maybe you can share a little bit of information about yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about you and maybe go into some detail in terms of why you created the book in the first place. Oh, of course. I I am a journalist and a writer. I live here in Washington, D.C., although I, I, I spent the first part of my childhood in Canada, so nice. um, it's always nice to connect with Canadians um, <laughs> in, in Toronto and Montreal. And um, I several years ago, I started writing about social science, psychology, philosophy, and went to a graduate program for positive psychology, which is this field that studies the, the good life and how we can lead better lives by, you know, bringing together the tools of kind of the humanities and the social sciences to really empirically study what, you know, was it true what Aristotle said that a life of virtue is a good life or, you know, was, you know, the philosopher Jeremy Bentham correct that, you know, happiness is really just about feeling good and not feeling bad. So um, it, 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 it was a field that really appealed to me because it was, you know, cross-disciplinary and had a lot of, you know, philosophical meat, but mm-hmm. also bringing these tools of social science to, to, to you know, which is very, you know, it, it helps us determine what is actually true, what works, how can we implement it in our lives. For everybody out there listening who, you know, they might be going through some tough stuff in life. They might be trying to find purpose. They might be trying to find this thing called meaning, which we'll talk about in just a minute here. I know for a fact when I read it, there's so many good takeaways and things that I've thought about before in the past where I said, man, I think not to sound maybe, I don't know if this comes off sounding a little ridiculous, but I've always found that my life has been pretty damn good because I've used different frames that you talk about, certain pillars that you talk about. Mm -hmm. And when you put those things to effect, it can really change your perspective. So when you released the book, what kind of feedback did you get from people? You know, the the book actually grew out of an article that I wrote several years ago for The Atlantic that was called There's More to Life Than Being Happy. And the there, you know, when I was in grad school, I came across a study about the difference between a meaningful life and a happy life that I thought was really provocative because you know, we all assume that, you know, happiness is the, you know, what we should be pursuing, that the whole point of life is to be happy. But this study suggested that maybe we're, we're kind of chasing the wrong goal and that what we should be pursuing is meaning. And meaning is different than happiness. You know, happiness is, is, is you know, about feeling good and, you know, it's a life of comfort and ease. Whereas meaning is about connecting to something beyond yourself that can be you know, the things that make our lives meaningful are sometimes stressful and difficult, like the work that we do, you know, having a family, raising kids. And and so that study just really provoked me. So I wrote about it, and the piece ended up going viral, which, which surprised me. But it also told me that um, there, there might be this yearning for something deeper than the simple happiness message that we're constantly getting in our culture. And when the book came out, it was um, kind of a similar type of response. I felt that people really 
are yearning for something deeper. And I, and I talk a little bit about this in my book. You know, there's life is getting better objectively by nearly every conceivable measure. So, you know, people are more likely to, you know, live in societies where they enjoy freedom and human rights. You know, for every day, you know, thousands of people are being lifted out of poverty. You're less likely to die a violent death or die from disease today than you were at any point in human history prior. And yet, more people feel hopeless, depressed, alone. Mm-hmm. You know, rates of suicide have been going up. All of these indicators of mental health we're not doing so well on. And the research suggests that the reason for that is people are struggling to understand what makes their lives meaningful because so many of our shared sources of meaning, whether it's religion and spirituality or you know, the, tra- the traditions that bound a, a community together, are fading away. And so we have to figure out on our own how to find meaning. And that can, that can be a daunting task. And especially so when there are so many, you know, siren calls in our culture for what we should be pursuing instead of meaning, like happiness, like success, like money. Mm. It's very difficult too when you're surrounded by, well, you know, a common phrase, the pursuit of happiness, right? We all want to be happy and we strive for that. But Mm -hmm. After reading the book, you really understand that maybe happiness is a little bit superficial and you need depth. And you mentioned it, you know, you need to go deeper. And that's where meaning comes in. And so are you saying that the four pillars um, are essentially your pathway to perhaps finding meaning in your life? Right. So so my, my question, you know, what, what really kind of launched me on this investigation to write this book was trying to figure out, you know, what, what is meaning? It's such a vague word. So what does it actually mean? And then how, like, what do we need in our lives in order for them to feel meaningful to us? Like, how do we know when our lives matter? What has to be in them? What do we have to do um, to, to feel that sense of meaningfulness? And so that set me on this investigation where I, you know, what, you know read through lots of research, lots of writing, and interviewed people all around the country, you know, a few people around the world as well, about what makes their lives meaningful, how did they find meaning, what, what, you know, when, what were the periods in their lives where their lives didn't feel meaningful, and how did they come out of that? And, you know, doing all that research, talking to all these people, I started to notice these themes come up again and again in what people were telling me. And the themes are, you know, I, I kind of synthesized them and distilled them on my own and called them the four pillars of meaning. And so, you know, if you had been looking at the same research, maybe you would have come up with a slightly different framework. But to me, what came up again and again were these four pillars, which are belonging, purpose, uh, storytelling, and transcendence. Let's look at the one of the first pillars. So to find meaning in our lives, we need to get our noses out of our phones. This is a challenge today, right? Everyone's on their phone. Everyone mm-hmm. is, you know, looking at social media, emails, text messages. It's, it's so difficult. But we need to get our, fo- our noses out of our phones and really start connecting with people. And so this talks to the first pillar, belonging. So talk to us more about this idea of belonging and why it makes up the very first pillar. You know, when, you, when, when researchers ask people, you know, what is it that makes your life meaningful, the, the, the top answers that come up again and again are things like my family, my friends, my children, my community. Human beings, we're, you know, we're social creatures. We don't exist in a vacuum. And our, one of our t- 
top sources of meaning is this sense of belonging that we feel in our intimate relationships. But I think that, you know, it's not just having a relationship that gives you that sense of meaning. It's having a relationship that's defined by belonging. Because you can imagine being in a relationship, even with intimate people in your lives, in your life, where they treat you like you don't matter, like you are worthless, where they treat you with contempt, um, where they don't accept you. And in those types of relationships, those don't confer meaning. So belonging is really about being in a relationship where you are valued and cared for mm. for who you are intrinsically, not for what you believe or what you're willing to do or not do, but just for who you are as a person. Um, and I think the reason why that that fundamental need to belong is so tied up with meaning is because you know, we, we get our cues about who we are and, and how our lives are going, both from ourselves internally, but also from how we're being treated by other people. So when other people treat us like we matter, we are kind of assured that we, we do in fact matter, that our lives do matter. We all strive to belong to a group of some sort, or we, we want to identify with people who identify with us, people who are similar to us. But then you look at maybe people who are a little younger who might be listening to this podcast. You know, you're, you're out there, you're in high school right now, you're listening to this, you're in college, you're in university. Hell, even if you're not younger and you're older and you're trying to belong to a certain group and maybe that group, you know in the back of your head that they're not really the right group for you, right? They, I, I look back to maybe some of my, my, my friends back in the day and, and I, I'm going to use my own experience here where um, me, I belonged in more of the sporty crew. Right, I, I was very big mm-hmm. into martial arts. I was very big into health. So when things like cigarettes and drinking and and all the drugs came up and all this these these conversations and these influences came about, it was very easy for me to say no because I I, I had an identity and I had belonging to a mm-hmm. certain group of healthy people. But yet there were people in my class who really didn't belong in any of them, and then they decided to find mm-hmm. belonging in a bad group. Sometimes belonging can mm-hmm. be both a positive thing and a negative thing, can't it? Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that's why, you know, I, I think it's really important to, to, to acknowledge that, that it's not, you know, meaning is not the cure-all. It's, it's not going to solve all of your problems because people can find meaning in really dangerous ways. Mm. So exactly what you're saying, you know, gangs, cults, you know, even right. extreme fundamentalist groups like ISIS or, you know, ones that are, you know, equally extreme, but maybe less, um, less in the news. These, the reason why they have, such a, they have such a powerful draw on people is because they confer this sense of belonging on them. Uh, now, I would, I would say, you know, I think that one of the things that differentiates a group that gives you a kind of a positive sense of belonging, a positive sense of meaning, versus these more destructive groups is the way that they think about the individual and and what the individual is good for. In some of these more negative groups, like gangs, cults, groups like ISIS, you're not really valued for who you are intrinsically. You're valued because of what you're willing to do, what you believe, who you hate, and not because of something just inherent you know, to your dignity as a human being. Um, whereas the more positive groups, there is this kind of culture of kindness, compassion, and empathy because there's an acknowledgement that it's not about what you're willing to do and what you believe, but just the fact that you're a human being. So this human-to-human connection, I think, is really central to positive belonging. 
I, I know for a fact that, you know, as we get older, you know, our, our social circles might decline. You know, I, I look at high school and elementary school and, and what have you. You have big groups of friends. And as you sort of move on, you, you the changes, you know, the friends you had in high school and elementary had so many of them, but so many of them fade away. And as you get older, you have a very small core group of friends. Myself, I have a very small core group of friends. But man, those friends, do they ever add meaning to my life? People say, you know, Ryan, mm-hmm. would, would you move away from home? Like I, I, I live in Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. Winnipeg's my home. And they say, would you move away from Winnipeg? It's always funny, but it always comes back to my family and my friends and how important they are. They give mm-hmm. my life meaning. You know, when I spend so much time in New York and, and I'm like, man, I, I would love to live here in Manhattan. The one thing that I always have in the back of my head is I would never move because my friends and my family, they give me such joy in life. And, and that to me is is that meaning. And I have that belonging yeah. with them. I have history with them. We have belonging. We truly trust each other. We have that human-to-human connection. We understand one another. And it's so powerful. So our second pillar now. When we think about the second pillar, purpose, there are questions, certain really big questions that we often ask ourselves in times of very deep reflection. Uh, questions like, what is the purpose of life? Or more specifically, what's the purpose of my life? That's a very big question. So when we think about purpose... Help us understand this very big concept and help us break it down. So purpose is is an interesting one because I think a lot of us use the term purpose and meaning interchangeably. Um, but they're actually separate. And purpose has this goal-oriented dimension to it. So your you know psychologists define it specifically as a, a goal or a principle that organizes your life and that involves making a contribution to the world um, around you. So what does that mean? So if you think about, you know, you can think about purpose in a lot of different ways. It comes in a lot of different shapes and sizes. So maybe, you know, one person's purpose is to be a good person. And so that that purpose kind of organizes their lives. So every time they have to make a decision, um, every time that they have to, you know, embark on some kind of activity, they are doing it with that purpose in mind. Or if your purpose is to be a good parent, then when you have difficulties with your kids or trying to figure out what to do, then that purpose is what orients you. Or if you have a conflict between another domain of your life, like work um, versus family, then you kind of tap into that purpose to help you resolve that tension or conflict in a way that's true with your purpose. So I think you, know, you can conceive a purpose in a broad way like that or um, in a more specific and narrow way. So you know, some people, maybe your purpose is to be a great artist or a great doctor, and that, you know, that organizes your life because it, you have to do specific things to achieve that goal. Um, and, you know, I, one of the stories that I tell in my book, I think, um, gets to the heart of what purpose is about. So, it's, you know, you don't have to do something kind of grand and extraordinary to find purpose. I think that that's a real misconception today that you have to kind of start a company that's going to change the world like Facebook or you have to... Um, you know, become a celebrity, become an Instagram celebrity. And actually, um, you know, ordinary day-to-day acts of of goodness and service are ways to tap into this pillar. So in my book, you know, I interviewed this woman who is a janitor, who was a janitor at a hospital. And, you know, to a lot of people that might seem like so-called dirty work. You know, you, you don't you know, you know, parents don't, you know, raise their children and, and, and encourage them to be janitors at hospitals, they encourage right. them to be doctors or nurses. And yet, this woman had, you know, conceived of her work 
in a very purposeful way. Mm. And the reason she said is because her job isn't just, you know, cleaning hospital bedpans, washing the laundry, mopping the floor. It was helping the sick patients heal Mm. by giving them an environment that was clean and wholesome. So um, I really like that story because Mm. it just, it tells us that there's, if you can tap into the larger mission of what you're doing, if you can connect to the, the larger impact the work you're doing has, that's going to give you a stronger sense of purpose. Yeah, and purpose is such an important piece to the puzzle. I mean, I, when I read that and I understood purpose a little bit more, I found that I had multiple purposes. You know, I had purpose in my career in the marketplace. I had purpose with my family. Mm. I had purpose with my friends. And that's how I looked at it. And, you know, my purpose was, mm-hmm. was, was different with every single facet of my life. And my purpose has evolved as I've gotten older as well. And I think mm-hmm. that as, as we go through life, we don't think about that. We don't think about purpose. We don't think about, what, you know, what am I trying to achieve here? Or, or what, is, what is Ryan's goal? Or what is Emily's goal here? I mean, wh- when you're sitting here listening to the podcast right now and, and you're, you're listening to Emily and I talk, are you thinking about purpose? Are you thinking about what the purpose mm-hmm. of your life is, the purpose of your career, the, what, what, what you're doing? And I think that it's just something that you have to discover for yourself. For, as I said, my, my purpose, I feel like, has evolved. But I think we don't get to that point unless we start actively thinking about it. In your experience, Mm. Emily, do you find that purpose is something that is fluid? It changes. It evolves. Mm. Yes, absolutely. And I I love what you said, too, about you have purpose in your work. You have purpose with your family, with your friends. And that gets to another truth about purpose, which is you can have different purposes at once. And it's it's very smart to, to have many different purposes because... You know, let's say things aren't working out in your career. Mm. You start feeling like a failure, and that sense of purpose goes away. Or, you know, you're a parent, and then your children leave to go to college or whatever. Then, you know, you're an empty nester, and that source of purpose goes away. You can lean on these other sources of purpose that you have or find new sources of purpose to your point about can your purpose change over life, over the course of your life, you know. When Eric Erickson was a 20th century psychologist who kind of conceived of human life as a series of developmental stages. And basically, your job, you had a certain job during each stage of life. And so you can think about your job is to kind of figure out who you are and, you know, what you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to contribute to the world. When you get older, your purpose, he said, is to be generative, which means that you are doing something to contribute to the younger generations, whether it's mentoring others, you know, being a teacher, raising children, being a leader in your community. So definitely your sense of purpose can change over time. I think there's a similar idea in Hindu philosophy as well, where there are these stages and you should be doing different things at different stages. And, you know, as you approach the end of your life, one of the things you're supposed to be doing is kind of getting in touch with your more spiritual side, um, strengthening that relationship to something higher and, and transcendent. So definitely it can change over, over the course of your life. Having multiple purposes is really important. And I was watching this video on Inc. Um, Inc. Magazine, and they were talking to this individual who climbed, I believe it was Mount Everest, and he climbed to a peak without oxygen. And it was something that he's trained for his entire life. It gave his life uh, meaning. And that was one of the words they they used was meaning. And because of that, 
uh, once he finally achieved it, he said that he achieved it. It was the greatest moment of his life, and yet it was the most sad moment of his life because he didn't have meaning anymore. Every single year, mm-hmm. he would train for this. He would look forward to this. He'd wake up climbing up Mount Everest. It, it gave him purpose. It, it gave him meaning in life. Mm-hmm. And then once he finally mm-hmm. did it, he said, I, I felt lonely. I felt sad. I felt mm-hmm. directionless. And that to me just says, wow, like his whole life was revolving around that one goal. That one goal gave him purpose. But he didn't look outwards and say, man, like I have like he's married. He has kids. He has a family like there's purpose there as well. And you have to continually look for it. You have to search it. And as you find purpose, it'll add meaning to your life. And I thought that was such a great, a great takeaway from the book and something really important that we all have to focus on. We all have to search for. We have to realize that. It evolves as we grow. Oh, I was, I was just going to say, it, the, the, the search never ends. It's not like you find me, your meaning and that's it. You know, it's, <laughs> it's constant. Your, your search is kind of constantly evolving. And that, the fact that it's evolving and that you're constantly striving, it shows that, you know, you're, you're growing and you're developing. And that's, that's a good thing. That's right. So we looked at the first pillar, belonging. The second pillar, purpose. Now, let's look at the third pillar. Now, as a marketer, I know the importance of storytelling. It's so important to get your message across. It's important to provide a compelling story to pull people in. And as we know, storytelling is, you know, it's, it's one of the, the, the pillars of having a meaningful life. So tell us a little bit about how storytelling can play a role in crafting a life that matters. So storytelling. So storytelling was one of the more interesting of the pillars that I, as I was doing the research. And you know, when I'm talking about storytelling, I'm not necessarily talking about the stories that were that, that immediately come to mind, like you know, the movies that we see, the television shows, the novels, um, the fairy tales that we re- read our children. I'm talking about the story that you tell yourself about who you are, this ongoing narrative in an individual's mind about who they are, what's going on with their lives, why certain things happen. Um, why they are the way they are. And I think that we don't always realize that we have that narrative going on in our minds and that, A, it's, it's a source of meaning because you're taking these disparate strands of your life and your experiences and you're weaving them together into something coherent. So it's a source of meaning in that way, but it's also a source of meaning in in that telling, in that in this, when you tell that Story, you are finding meaning in it, and it could be a positive meaning or negative meaning. So, you know, let's say you are you're going through a divorce, and you tell this story of, um, you know, I, you know, I'm I, I'm a failure. I, I can't do anything right. I, I'm a failure in my work. I, I failed in this marriage, and the reason my husband is leaving me is because I just never had my act together and couldn't, you know, deliver in in our marriage and these other aspects of our lives. So, you know, and and maybe those things are true, um, that you, you know, you did lose your job, you did whatever, and you you, you do feel like a failure in these different aspects of your life. But you can also choose to tell the story in a different way just by incorporating different material into the story, material that's also true. Um, such as, okay, like I, I failed, I failed in my job, I failed in my marriage, my husband doesn't love me anymore, um, but this, you know, and I'm at, at the lowest point in my life that I've ever been, but I'm also going to use this as an opportunity to reflect on 
how I want to move forward and to figure out what what direction my life is going to take and how I can grow in the wake of this. Mm. So, um, you know, it's, it's the same set of facts, but it's a slightly different spin on it. And and obviously that the interpretation that you're bringing has to be true to who you are and true to your circumstances. But, um, you know, we can bring different interpretations to the same set of circumstances and it's important to realize that some of the interpretations that we bring can hold us back and some of them can help us move forward. So, you know, Dan McAdams is a researcher at Northwestern University who studies these stories that we tell ourselves and he's found that people who tell what he calls contamination stories or stories that move from um, good things happening, so my life was really great and then I got divorced and it became horrible, that those people tend to be more anxious and depressed and, and believe that their lives are not as meaningful. Whereas people who tell what he calls redemptive stories, stories that move from bad to good, uh, tend to believe that their lives are more meaningful. So a story like, I got a divorce, it was horrible, reached my lowest point, but it helped me grow and you know now I, I discover things about myself and my strength that I never knew I had. Hmm. So all the the guys and gals out there in Cut the Crap Podcast Nation, you guys are listening to this, and Emily's talking about the importance of story, how story can really dictate what happens in your life, how you perceive life. You're all going through something right now. You're either going through good times or you're going through really crappy times. And the story you tell yourself is so important. And there's something, Emily, that the audience, you know, they always hear from me. And, and it's, it's these two perspectives and these two philosophies that I always hold in the top of my head. And it's, it's philosophies that I have when things don't go well, right? When I'm going through really crappy times. And the first one is, it's not a setback. It's a set up for something greater. And the second one is, life doesn't happen to me. It happens for me. And it's these two mm-hmm. philosophies that the audience has really gotten to know very well. Um, it's these two philosophies that really help me shape my story. We all go through hell at some point in our life. And the story that I always tell myself is, you know, when, when really bad stuff happens and stuff maybe in career, maybe you lose a client, maybe a family member passes away. I always look at that and I say, there's not something here that's, this isn't a setback. This isn't something bad. There's something here that's going to come out, uh, come of this. Um, even when, when family members pass away, um, I always look at that. And while as sad as it is, yes, I always say there's something that's going to be good that's going to come from this. And you can have two perspectives on that. You can tell yourself a story of, no, no, that this is terrible and it just is, Ryan. It's just bad. That's it. There's no good that's going to come from this. Then guess what your story is going to be? There is never going to be this 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 next chapter that brings about you know a more positive story. If you believe that, then that's what's going to happen. All my life, it's when I read this chapter. This I, I wanted to leave this maybe to one of the last golden nuggets, but I wanted to to follow in line with with the book. But storytelling to me is one of the most important pillars in my life. Because the story you tell yourself can either empower you or disempower you. It can either help you move forward in mm-hmm. life or it can hold you back. So in my book, I tell a story of this, of this man named Emeka Naka, who, um, who lives uh, in Oklahoma. And you know, several years ago, he was a young, strong, semi-professional football player. And you know, he, he had kind of he's kind of been a little bit of, uh, you know, distracted when he was younger, got into a little bit of trouble. And 
Um, finally, when we started playing football, he said, you know, things kind of started coming together for me. I, finally, there was something that I was good at, that I could feel good about myself doing. I was one of the, you know, popular guys. It was great. And, but, but during one of his games, he, he became injured um, and paralyzed uh, during a hit that he took. And so that was a turning point in his life. And we know afterwards, as he was laying in the hospital, he started telling himself the following story. He said, you know, before my injury, my life was really great. I, you know, I was doing something I was good at. I was, as I said, the life of the party. People liked me. I was popular. I had my whole future in front of me to do whatever I want to. But now I can't walk, and I'm, I'm never going to do the things I want to do. Hmm. Who am I going to marry? Who's going to want to marry me? My life is basically over. Wow. And so that was the story that he was telling himself. And, you know, if you think back to what I said earlier, that's, that's your classic contamination hmm. story. That's right. Story of good thing happening, then something happens, and then, and then a bad thing uh, follows. So that was the story that Emika told himself, and it made him, you know, of course, feel much more depressed about his circumstances. But over time, and he had a lot of time because he was just kind of, you know, sitting there recovering, he started reflecting and digging deeper and telling himself a new story. Mm. And that new story went like this. You know, he said, yeah, you know, when I was playing football, I was the life of the party. I was popular, but I was also a pretty selfish guy. Hmm. I didn't really care about other people. I only cared about myself. And now that I'm injured, I realized how selfish I was being, how superficial my life was, and I want to be a better man than the person that I was before. Hmm. And so... And not, and not only do I want to be a better man, but I can be a better man because I can change how I live my life. Wow. And that slight edit to his story ended, ended up indeed kind of changing his life. He started mentoring kids in his community, and he eventually went to, got, got his college degree in counseling so he could continue helping other people. So I think that's a really powerful example. And you don't have to have been crazy and traumatic happen to you like Emeka had in order to, to shift your perspective. But I think it's a good example of how that shift can happen just by reflecting on your life in a thoughtful, deliberate way. Mm -hmm. it's, <laughs> it's really funny. It's a very personal story of mine, and I've never really told it before until today. But my story for so many years was a comeback story. Because things weren't going right. Mm -hmm. You know, I started off in, 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 you know, consulting and I wasn't getting paid enough because I didn't ask for enough money. I felt like it wasn't right for me to ask for, for, for more money. Um, you know, things were starting mm -hmm. off. You know, I made some bad investments, bad mistakes. And, you know, I ended up $100,000 in debt. Things were not going well. Mm. You know, things were not going well for Ryan. And I kept looking at all my circumstances around me and saying, man, like things are, for lack of a better word, really shitty really shitty right now. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I kept remembering this. Ryan, this is a comeback story, baby. You are going to look back on this. Remember all the stuff that you're going through. Remember how it feels. Remember your surroundings. Remember what things look like. Because when you get out of this, you're going to tell this comeback story. And you're going to need to have these, these stories, these reflections to help paint a picture of what your life was and what you did to get out of that. 
And I think for the most part, if we're all going through, you know, layers of crap in our lives with some of you right now listening, you might be doing that. Build your comeback story. You know, build your comeback story. Tell a story to yourself that's going to empower you, not disempower you, not hold you back. But again, like anything else in this book, you have to you have to dedicate time to it. You have to believe it and you have to make time to really tell yourself that story. You know, find belonging, find purpose. All those things, truly important. But I'll tell you this much. The reason why storytelling really resonated with me was because I did it. And it really got me through some very difficult times. It gave me hope where often if I didn't have that story, I would have felt hopeless. And maybe there was no, no yeah. way of getting out. So we've gone through the three pillars already. So we've gone through three. The last pillar, maybe maybe the one of the, the ones that's least understood. I'll kind of set it up for a little bit. You know, every single summer... I love to go camping. Yeah, it's one of my most favorite things to do. I love just getting out there and, and getting away from technology, getting away from traffic, going out in the wilderness and just camping, setting up my tent and all night just sitting by a fire. And, you know, sometimes I'll sit back and I'll look up at the stars, I'll look up at the sky, the moon, and, you know, my mind will wander. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who's looked up at the sky and thought, you know, wow, like I'm so, so small compared to this big universe we live in. Now, when myself and many others have these thoughts, that's this idea of transcendence. So I'll be honest with you, I, don't, I didn't truly understand what transcendence was when I hear that word. So for people who maybe aren't familiar with this word, help us understand what transcendence, transcendence is and why it's important to understand to live a meaningful life. So transcendence, the definition of transcendence, if you just look it up in the dictionary, means to go beyond or to rise above, to, you know, to transcend, um, to be lifted above the kind of ordinary hustle and bustle of daily life and to feel connected to something bigger. So, you know, most of the time we're all very much tethered to the here and now. We're checking our phones, we're doing our work, we're worried about, you know, having to do all the things we have to do, picking up our kids, going to our appointments, et cetera, et cetera. And during transcendent moments, you kind of, you step above all of that and you connect to something higher, whether it is, you know, as you said, in nature, some kind of experience of awe and wonder, looking at the sky, looking at a grand, beautiful vista, even just looking up at the trees. Um, the, you know, the transcendentalist movement in the United States was very much tethered to the idea of nature and feeling this, the kind of sanctity and, and divine quality in the natural world around us. Or it could, it could be in a spiritual and re- religious context. Historically, that was the way that most people experienced transcendence through prayer, through ritual, through meditation, music. Um, then there are also secular um, ways to encounter it, like you know, seeing art, you know, going to a rock, a rock concert, going to a rave. So they're kind of it's this it's this experience of stepping outside of yourself and stepping outside of day to day existence. And when you connect to something higher, a number of things happen. One, your sense of self starts to dissolve, and you realize that all of the things that you thought were so important, um, all the things you worry about, all your anxieties are not so important after all, that what really matters is, um, you know, serving others, connecting to others. It's just people who have these transcendent experiences, this kind of transformation of perspective that occurs in them that, that reorients them away from the self and towards um, towards others and towards the, the world at large. Oh yeah, and the, and, and the other thing that happens is is you you these these experiences just leave you with a 
deep and powerful sense of meaning. And people, you know, I think the reason is, and, and you know, one of the things about these experiences is that they're ineffable, which means it's hard to kind of put them into words and describe what's happening in them. But I think the reason they're so meaningful to people is because, you know, it makes people realize, okay, yes, you know, maybe you'll die one day. Maybe you're a tiny piece of something much, much bigger. But, um, but that doesn't mean that you're insignificant and that doesn't mean that your life doesn't matter. On the contrary, it, it means that you are part of something bigger. And, and by being part of that bigger thing, that, that is what kind of makes all of this meaningful. How do you actually figure that out? How do you comprehend that? Because it's not something that, you know, we, that's easy, I think. I think it's very difficult to achieve that transcendental experience. So do you have any advice for people who maybe are understanding this, but they're saying, hey, Emily, Ryan, help me get there. How do, how do I get there exactly? You know, well, there are certain things that you can do. Um, you know, meditation is, is kind of a, a portal to transcendence. Um, you know, going, thinking about the experiences of your life where, where you did feel on wonder, like whether it was camping, as, as you said, Ryan, or, you know, going to an art museum or, or a natural history museum and, you know, standing before those, you know, skeletons of, of dinosaurs or before beautiful work of art, um, you know, and re- reconnecting to those, spending time in those places, deciding that, you know, for an hour a week or, you know, 10 minutes a day, if it's meditation or whatever, that you're going to make time for transcendence. And it might not, you might not have kind of the major transcendent experience where your sense of self completely dissolves, but you will um, have, you know, a more minor form of it because you're doing something that forces you to kind of come outside of your head, to step outside a little bit. And um, with practice, that, that becomes easier and it leads to kind of a shift in perspective in the way that you're describing where you eventually start realizing it's not all about me. All these things I'm worried about are actually not, not as important as I think they are. And, you know, what's more important is, you know, living a life according to my values or, or whatever the case may be for you. You know, I really found that when I was really young, I felt that I would experience that more. When I started networking with different groups, when I started to go to different associations, when I heard different problems, met different people, I expanded my network. I found that I started to um, maybe understand what at the time I didn't understand until I understood what transcendence was. I also found that when I was traveling, when I travel around the world and I see all these different people, different cultures, different ways of life. I mean, when you look at all the different facets of life and, and, and what happens, you know, across the world or what happens, you know, across the country, there's so much going on and it's so different from you. And it kind of gives you that perspective that, you know what, there's a lot going on in this world beyond me. And for some reason, it's really tough to say, but it, I don't, I don't really know how to put my finger on it. Maybe you can help us understand that. But when I, when I have those experiences, it gives me perspective, but it gives me a, a perspective that fires me up. It gets me excited, and I don't know mm-hmm. why. Like, how should we feel when we have, you know, uh, when we understand trend- transcendence? Like, what are the feelings that somebody should have when they experience that? You know, there's, there's different kind of types of transcendent experiences, and, and there's two specific forms of transcendent experiences that kind of come up, you know, time and again across history and in the research. Um, one is a very kind of peaceful type of transcendent experience. So you're meditating or you're praying or you're listening to a beautiful piece of music and 
it brings you this sense of serenity, this, this feeling of kind of self-loss. On the other side, there are very ecstatic um, experiences of transcendence. You know, if you're dancing in a group mm. or, um, you know, uh, I think yeah, I think dancing is a really good For example. Sure. Or sometimes like, you know, certain types of meditation where you're chanting or when you're kind of performing, you know, rituals, like, you know, in, in Aboriginal societies, like shamanistic type rituals, mm-hmm. um, then the emotions are much more kind of um, dynamic and kinetic, and you feel this kind of energy coursing through you. But the end result is, you know, it's the same, is this kind of decreased sense of the self and greater sense of connectedness. There's the four pillars, everybody. You have belonging, purpose, storytelling, and transcendence. Emily, if anyone wants to get in touch with you and they want to see what you're doing, uh, how could they do that? Uh, you know, I have a Facebook page. I'm on Twitter. Um, you can you can contact me through my website, emilyesfahanysmith.com. So um, yeah, a bunch of different ways to reach out, and um, I, I try my best to, to respond to everyone who emails me or, or connects uh, via social media. Awesome. Well, Emily, it was such a pleasure having you on the show and talking about these incredibly important topics that we don't focus enough on today and i think that if people just take an hour out of their day whether on the subway in the car ride home at home cleaning whatever they're doing if they just take an hour to listen to this um, i hope that it provides a little bit of stimulus that could perhaps change their life so you were a big part of that so Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show emily oh thanks so much ryan it was great chatting with you All right, there we have it. That's The Power of Meaning, Crafting a Life That Matters by Emily Esfahani-Smith. What a great interview. Again, I cannot overemphasize how important these pillars are. They truly are important pillars that you need to keep in mind, top of mind, and things you need to continuously search for, think about, and put into practice in your life in order to improve your life, add meaning to it. You know, it's funny, but I the first time I ever mentioned that on the podcast about me going through, you know, that difficulty and me using storytelling to get myself out of that that hell that I was in. You know, we all go through hell. Every single one of us goes through hell at some point in time in our lives. And if you haven't, well, aren't you glad you tuned into this happy talk today? But everybody will face it at some point in time. And having these pillars in place can really get you out of it and get you through it with hope, with a positive mindset. And I was so lucky to go through some of that, those those really crappy times with that mindset. And for me, I know it was incredibly important and it got me to where I am now um, in a much better position in life. And uh, if you are not in that position right now in life, then I definitely hope that you put some of these things into practice um, to give you some hope as you're going through some of those tough times. And with that in mind, if you enjoyed this episode, if you enjoyed the takeaways, then please go online, rate and review it. It would mean a lot to me. Uh, whatever platform you're listening on, if you can rate and review, then just take a screen capture of that, send it to podcast at ryancalajury.com, and I'll make sure you get entered in the draw this quarter for either a Google Home or an Alexa. Also, don't forget to follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You can follow me along throughout the week. You can follow my journey, see the kind of things I'm doing, see the kind of things I'm talking about, the things I care about, and you can follow me along throughout the week as well. Again, thank you so much for making me a part of your week. It truly means a lot to me. Uh, again, if you want to talk about purpose, this podcast part of doing this podcast gives me purpose so to me it's such a joy coming here every single week and having an opportunity to come and talk to you so thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to do that and i can't wait to get back here next week when i have a brand new book a brand new interview golden nuggets and of course i'm just here every single week just trying to save you a little bit of time 
Have a great week, everybody, a productive week. Take care. I love you guys. One of the things that I think everybody who I know who used to be poor, like when, when you haven't made it, when you're broke, mm -hmm. you always feel like it's never going to happen. Right. You always feel like it's completely out of touch. Like I'm poor, I'm always going to be poor, this fucking struggle's never going to go away. Mm -hmm. But when you're around people who used to be poor too, mm -hmm. but they figured out how to do it, mm -hmm. You go, oh, they're just a fucking person. Right. You know, and when you see some dude and he's in some corner office in some giant ass building mm -hmm. and he's a CEO of the company, right. you can't imagine that at one point in that guy's life, mm -hmm. he was fucked up. Right, like right. at one point in his life, he's depressed and lost and failing in school and couldn't figure it out, right. you know, and was wondering about his future. And almost every successful person that I've ever met had some crazy adversity early on. They figured their way through that, mm -hmm. and then they figured out how to become successful, partially even because of that. Mm -hmm. So when you're on like a train and everybody's all together, I think it's the one of the best sort of ways to keep that separation, that us and them separation, right. with like the classes especially. Because that's a real fucking mindset of rich people and a real mindset of poor people that they're just there's two different groups of us right. but it's so stupid it's not it, it's just a bunch of people and they're on the same journey that you're on mm -hmm. in a different direction just maybe a little bit further down the road right, right. or maybe they didn't stop as many times as you did maybe right. they didn't get flat tires maybe they didn't you know have as many potholes in the road right. but they're all we're all just on this fucking same thing we're all just people right. so when you look at some dude you know, you're poor and you have holes in your sneakers and some guy's got a Rolex on and he's wearing this expensive suit and he's got cufflinks and he's checking his newspaper and reading the Wall Street Journal and you look at his expensive shoes like, this motherfucker's got some money, man. Right. How the hell did he do that? And I'm here, a loser. He just did it. He's just, he's just a person, just like you, man. Right. Every single person who has ever done anything worthwhile or exceptional or difficult or extraordinary anyone whether it's great artists or authors or mathematicians or whatever the fuck it is everyone encounters difficulties there is no easy road it does not exist it is impossible everyone has issues if you have time to pursue a hobby if you have time to do anything in your life you can better yourself and here's one way you never better yourself when you come up with excuses for why other people are successful and you're not, that shit is fucking dangerous. When you give yourself an escape, yeah, well, that's easy for you to say, you know, you do this, you do this, and to tr trust me, everybody has a hard road. We all go through hard times. We all go through depression. We all do go through doubt and, and then moments in your life where it's really fucking difficult and you're trying to figure out what the fuck your path is going to be. It's hard as shit, but... That is what makes you a person, and those difficult moments are what build your character.